Well, good morning, Restoration Church. My name is Pastor. My name is Nate Gagney, and I'm glad you're here. And and thanks for uh, for clapping without me provoking you to do that. That's pretty pretty thoughtful of you. <laughs> uh, Miracle Offering is coming up on November 13th, and Miracle Offering is part of Kingdom Builders, which is uh, which is what we're doing to to move beyond our walls to, to do more than just have church service, but to be faithful to what God's called us to do. And Kingdom Builders goes towards three areas, a local church expansion, global missions projects, and raising up future Christian leaders. And our miracle offering is going toward that. And we've been watching this video every week to show you what, you know, our miracle offering and our Kingdom Builders from last year, how that's affected and what we've been able to do with that. And on November 13th, just a couple weeks from now, I've got a very big, a very exciting announcement to share with the church. So Miracle Offering Sunday, there's some big news coming. And uh, I can't, I wish it was November 13th already, but I'll hold you in suspense for two more weeks. And um, it, is, it is great. So that is coming up. Now, also want to say before we jump into the word this morning, thank you for thank you to the church, thank you for all of you guys for uh, for Pastor Appreciation Week last week, um, for everything you did for our uh, all of our pastors at every location, for the things that you did for me and my family. I deeply appreciate it, and um, you're always so generous with your gifts. Like people made some great meals for our family this week, uh, so generous with your words, and um, some of the thoughtful things that you said were a deep encouragement. So thank you guys for that, and let me give you a standing ovation. That sounded like I was mocking you, but honestly, it just felt awkward when I was doing it, and I'm like, that was a good idea until I did it, and now you're like, he's mocking us. He doesn't really appreciate us. Anyway, I do. It was, it was awesome. Sorry for being so French. Um, now, in our series, we are, it's the second week of our Kingdom Builders series, and we are in the book of Nehemiah, and so if you've got your Bibles, open up to Nehemiah chapter two. If you don't own a Bible, if you do not have a physical copy of the Bible that is yours, or that's written in a modern translation, so you might have a Bible that someone gave you that's, that's written like Shakespeare, um, we want to give you one that's in a modern translation that, uh, that you can read and understand. If you don't have one, we'll give you one for free. So when you walk out of the auditorium, the welcome centers at every location will help you with that. So last week, we started talking about Nehemiah. We started talking about uh, kind of the history of this time. And I'll, I'll just do a little bit of a recap, all right? The nation, uh, at the, so we're going to go back about just about 100 years before the time we're going to read today, and Israel has divided into two kingdoms. You've got the northern kingdom, you've got the southern kingdom, and Babylon comes and just destroys everything. They show up in Jerusalem, and they, this is 586 BC, they, they just absolutely destroy it. They destroy the temple taken down every turn, taken every artifact, they just decimate it, and then they take, um, 
uh, several thousand people to Babylon with them, that they're gonna train them, and ultimately, uh, like you, we would say, brainwash them into their religion, into their culture, and integrate them into their society. So they took the best looking and the brightest to Babylon with them to, to reproduce them and to raise them up as future pagan leaders. And so famous names from this period of history, Daniel in the lion's den happened during this period. Shadrach, Meshach, and, append- and uh, Abednego happened, and appendage. Uh, they happened during this period. Uh, Nehemiah, obviously, Ezra, and many others. They were living during this period. Now, Nehemiah comes on the scene toward the end of it. He's born in captivity, and at the time that we're reading, Babylon has been overthrown, and Persia now is the world leader. They came in, they conquered uh, the Babylonian Empire, and they now are the world leaders. Nehemiah finds himself working for this Persian king. He is the most feared man in the world at this time of history, and Nehemiah, this Jewish man, born in captivity, is working side to side. Now, we can think that Nehemiah, you know, he, he was given some authority and he did do some reigning, but he's really an expendable person. And how do we know this? Because he was the cupbearer to the king, which means that the king is having Nehemiah consume every beverage before the king, because if it was poisoned, Nehemiah would die, not the king. So Nehemiah would take a sip, they'd sit and wait, and then uh, if Nehemiah's still alive, the king. So obviously if Nehemiah is really, really important to the king, he's not gonna have him be the, be the cupbearer. Now, I just wanna give uh, just a parenting tip for you, all right? Your kids are down the hallway, huge parenting tip. You should be the cupbearer for your children's Halloween candy. You gotta make sure Nothing's poisoned. You gotta make sure nothing's bad, so you be their cupbearer. Just go ahead and test every piece. Take a couple bites, and it's safe. You can have it, and um, it's been working out for me. So now, Nehemiah, what we talked about last week is he has some people, they've, they've gone to Jerusalem. The king has given permission for people to go to, to resettle Jerusalem, which is a miracle. And when they come back, Nehemiah, he's kind of having lunch, he's talking, he's like, so how's it going over there? And the report that came back is, it is not good. The city lies in ruins. The walls are torn down, the gates are burned, and Nehemiah's heart breaks. And I think he's shocked. And as we talked about last week, we should really be shocked because his heart broke for a city he never lived in, for a city, He's never been to, he never saw, he, and he, he's got his life. Everything he's ever known is far away from Jerusalem, but yet his heart breaks for that, and we, our prayer was last week is asking God, will you break our heart for people we'll never meet, for places we'll never go, for, for, for places and people we'll never, we'll never be with, will you break our heart for those people, which is the heart of kingdom builders. We don't just have enough church to make us comfortable. 
but we recognize the assignment that God has given us. He's given every follower of his to share his good news with those who, with those who want to listen to it. And not in a judgmental, angry way, but in the same way you recommend an amazing restaurant. You share the, uh, you share the good news of Jesus. And why don't I share with you a good restaurant right now? Are you guys up for that? Every location, you guys up for that? So um, we had a, a, a guy new to the church. He's in Next Steps here at the Dover class this morning, but he came in and he moved to the United States in, in March of this year. And so I was just saying, if you want to go to Manchester, go to Royal India. It's on South Willow Street. It's a good Indian restaurant that Pastor Stephen and his wife introduced me and Michelle to. And get yourself the goat biryani. So good. So good. Well, listen, Jesus is even better than goat biryani. And in the same way we share a good restaurant, we share, have you heard of Jesus? He changes lives. Let me tell you how he changed mine. And some people don't want to listen to that. Well, that's fine. Some people don't want to ever try goat. Well, like, how foolish. How, why would you not want to eat a goat? Well, let me off. Some people are tuning me out. Let me continue. So his heart breaks. He cries. He mourns. He prays. And he fasts. And fast, fasting is when you're withholding food. So obviously, he's the cupbearer to the king. But he's not eating any food for himself. He's only consuming enough to make sure the king won't die. And he does this for the next four months. And as we kind of jump into the message, some little key principles. As your heart breaks, your heart breaks for kids in foster care, your heart breaks for people in addiction, your heart breaks for people who are far from the Lord, your heart breaks for kids in abusive homes, your heart breaks for people who are grieving, your heart breaks for people going through divorce, your heart breaks for people who are in sickness. There's lots of things that God wants to break our hearts over. And here's something to note, what always precedes how? He's going to break your heart over something before he ever tells you what to do about it. And Nehemiah, his heart breaks for Jerusalem. His heart breaks for the city. And he doesn't know how to do anything about it. But he knows what's wrong. He knows what he's going to pray about. So maybe over this last week, God broke your heart about something. You're like, what do I do now? Pray fast. Pray fast. Shed some tears. And ask God to move. Ask God to mobilize you. Ask God to use you. You're not responsible for pulling off God's vision for your life, which I think does allow us to breathe a little bit. Nehemiah is saying, God, how do you want to use me? I'll do what you ask. But he's not saying, God, you've got a problem and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it for you. God, you recognize what's going on. You know people who are far from you. You know how broken they are, how hurting they are, how destitute they are. What can I do? What do you want me to do? Today, um, one thing that I, kind of the main thing that I want to talk through as we go through Nehemiah chapter two is this question, all right? Your heart is broken for something, but how do you make a difference when you're making a living? 
How do those two worlds combine? How can you pursue God's call on your life? How can you pursue God's assignment? How can you help change a world or change a state or change a community or even change a home when you're busy with just, with just everything that life has? Now, Nehemiah, he's a cupbearer who also eventually ends up in Jerusalem and in a record-setting time, mobilizes the people living in that city and they rebuild the walls in just 52 days. But he's not a construction guy. It's not, he's a cupbearer. He's got his job. But how does he do something to make a difference? He begins to ask God. Paul, uh, uh, Paul he... In scripture, we read different times he, he's a tent maker and he's, he's not just trying to pay his bills, but he's even using his skill of making tents to fund not only his own ministry, but to help churches as he, as he goes into those towns and even sending money to churches that he's previously visited. In um, a little bit modern history, though he passed away a lot, you know, probably 50 or 60 years ago, but Smith Wigglesworth is a famous name in Christianity. He was a plumber who is known for, for bringing, he's known God used him in dramatic healings. And then even more recently, who only passed away a couple years ago, but an evangelist named Reinhard Bonnke, who God broke his heart for the people of Africa and he eventually is leading crusades with millions of people in attendance. And you look up those pictures as it's just people as far as you can see as he would preach the word of God. He was not responsible for getting those million people there. He was responsible for stepping into the assignment that God has given him. Now, we'll go back to this question, how do you make a difference when you're making a living? I, I, as I thought about that, I, I feel like we, you, you know, there's some, some things we wrestle with. So maybe this is one of you. He said, I can't do ministry, I must do work. And, and certainly, people have communicated that. People have expressed that. People have, Pastor, I just feel, but I can't do ministry because I must do work. Sometimes people take an approach where my work funds my ministry. They think Paul's a tent maker. He's, he, you know, I work to fund my ministry habit, and they think of it that way. Sometimes people dream or think my work is my ministry, and so they, they look at me. I'm a pastor. Uh, I, I'm at the church, and they dream, one day I hope I get to do that. Then I'll be able to step into ministry. But here's, I think each of those thoughts is incomplete. This is how I want you to think of this. Um, everything is ministry. Everything is ministry. And if we just say, God, what is your assignment? Where have you placed me? What do you want me to do? My heart is broken for these things. What is my part that you've designed for me to play in this? And then you function that. For some of you, it is giving and generosity. The owners of, of Hobby Lobby, 
you know, there's some articles going around. They, they gave up ownership of their business. So they don't own their business anymore. They were tithing something like $330 million a year. That was their 10% tithe. Uh, how are they able to tithe that much? Because when they were making $30 a week, they were able to tithe that $3. But they just gave up ownership. How, how do you do that? Well, they just recognize what their assignment is. And so their assignment, they, they've just been giving and generous and, and doing all these things. Museum of the Bible, they gave a huge amount of money toward, toward that opening in D.C. Um, the college I graduated from, they purchased the campus and gave it to them. Uh, the, the place where SoFest is happening this year, the Moody Institute, the, uh, the Greens from Hobby Lobby purchased that campus and gifted it to the Institute. I mean, they're just giving away millions and millions of dollars every day. It's your assignment. And Hobby Lobby didn't fund their ministry. It was their ministry. We got to understand that everything is ministry. If you're a mechanic or a pastor or a musician or a greeter, if you are a follower of Jesus... It says in scripture, you are a royal priesthood. Everything is ministry. Stay-at-home mom, changing diapers, burping, ministry. Mechanic, changing oil, dealing with customers who don't know what they're talking about, ministry. Everything is ministry when we're following Jesus. And we just need to ask him, help me to be aware of how this is ministry. Sometimes he redirects us. Sometimes he shifts us. Sometimes he has people step into a a vocational ministry. Sometimes he has people step into marketplace ministry. But everything is ministry. And so I want to go through, as we go through Nehemiah chapter 2, some truths that you must believe to help you to, to, to break through this, to help you to step into the call God has in your life today. So Nehemiah chapter two, we'll start reading verses two through three. And what happens here, four months later, Nehemiah comes into the throne room. He's got to taste test some foods for the king. And he's like, uh, uh, and he's, you know, scripture, downcast all my soul. Which you can't do. You can't come into the king and, and, and be depressed. He, he's just going to, uh, you know, that guy's kind of a Debbie Downer. Kill him. <laughs> I mean, this is the most feared guy on the planet. And, but Nehemiah, this one day, and the king has never seen him like this before. He said, what's wrong with you? And it says here in verse number two, he was very terrified, but he replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Here's the, here's the one truth, the first truth. Our identity is in Christ. Nehemiah, the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. He's brokenhearted about a city, again, that he's never been to, that he's never seen. And at this point in his life, he, he probably thinks he'll never see. He's gotten his assignment. If he tries to leave his job, the king will kill him. 
but he recognizes he is not Persian. He recognizes he's not, he, he, he's not the king's right-hand man. He recognizes that he is Jewish first. That's his identity. And for you and I, as followers of Jesus, we've got to recognize our identity is Christ. It's not in our income. It's not in our education. It's not in our title. Our identity is in Christ. Philippians 3 verse 20 says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. If you had to recognize that. Our identity, our citizenship, it is in him and found only in him. And we begin to get ourselves in a lot of trouble when we try to craft or create an identity in something other than him. If you're a teenager and you're trying to make your identity as popular or funny, you're going to get yourself in trouble. If you're a single guy and you're trying to make your identity as fit and good looking, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Our identity must be found in Jesus. And then even on a negative event, if you begin to say your identity as the person who's always sick or as the person who has depression or as the person who has these problems. You get yourself into trouble. Our identity is in him and him alone. The second thing that we must believe is that God is our source. God is my source. Verses four through five, the king asks, well, what can I do to help you? And Nehemiah, he writes, he says, with a prayer to the God of heaven. This is his big moment. Oh, God, help me now. <laughs> help me. He replied, if it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, and you've got to recognize the trepidation that he says this. This request could end his life. Send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. If it please the king, send me. But what he recognizes is in this passage, you can jump back to verse number four on the screen for me. What he recognizes here is that it's not his elevator speech that's going to make the difference. It's not his argument. It's not his charisma. It's not his resume. But that highlighted part right there with a prayer to the God of heaven. God is our source. Miracle offerings coming up and and, I, and I've, been t I, I've told you every year, I've been telling you every week, pray and ask God, God, do you, what do you want us to give? God, where, what level do you want us to participate at? And then just do what he tells you to do. For some of you, God's gonna tell you something you don't like. He's gonna tell you something that you don't think is possible. And you're gonna look and sorry, God, that's not possible. I can't do that. Stop and recognize and believe God is my source. 
He's the one who gives you the ability to do the things he calls you to do. He's the one who asks you to do things you cannot do. Trust him with that. Believe him in that. Recognize that he's the one, as we said before, he's the one that is responsible for pulling off his vision for your life. And to him, we just place ourselves in a position of listening and in a place of obeying and in a place of persevering. God, we will not give up. Going back to, or jumping to verse number eight, you know, God's our source and what happens next shocks Nehemiah for sure. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. Again, God was his source. God was the one who made it happen. And I'm sure he was shocked. And there are moments in our life where God opens the door. Really, that's shocking. God, I believed that you would, but I didn't actually believe that you would. (laughs) I knew intellectually that it was possible, but I didn't actually think that you would care enough to do it. I thought I heard you, but I wasn't sure, but now I know that this is your assignment. As we And again, recognizing so my identity is in Christ, God is my source. This verse number eight, he had four months of tears and prayer and fasting before this happened. And because he he was willing to risk everything, his own life, to make a request, his own comfort, to help a people, his own life to make a difference. The last thing, as you scroll down to verses 16 and 18, I'll read this for you. So he goes on, he makes additional requests to the king. Could you give me a letter? As I travel, no one can stop me. Can you give me some timber? Because Jerusalem doesn't have any trees, and I gotta rebuild these, um, I've gotta rebuild these gates. So he shows up to Jerusalem, and you've just gotta envision this, all right? So there's people living in this destitute city, and they've been living there for the last 75 to 100 years. Um, but it's been destroyed. No one's done anything to rebuild it. And because they, not everybody got taken into exile, they just took the best of the brightest of the strongest, those that would help their cause. And as he shows up, they don't know who he is. He's showing up, he dresses like he lives in a palace, and the king sent him with bodyguards and security. So he's showing up and people are like, who's this guy? What is he doing? He doesn't say anything at first. He, he doesn't say anything for a couple of days. He, he, in, in the middle of the night, he's getting out and evaluating the city and trying to kind of figure out what to do. And then ultimately, he gets everybody together. 
So verse number 16, it said, the city officials of Jerusalem did not know that I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. And I would say this, right? I think it is important that when God tells us to do something that we don't initially tell everybody in the whole world about it. There is a little bit of wisdom in waiting and evaluating. And to know, I think, who is, because a dream is so fragile. A dream is so fragile that sometimes it just takes one person to say, you're an idiot. I think of my, my friend, uh, Chris Songson, who spoke here a couple of years ago. And when he was 17 years old, he told his dad, dad, God told me to be a pastor. And his dad's response was, you can't do that. You're not smart enough to do that. And a dream in the beginning stage is so fragile, you, you have to be careful who you communicate it with. You want to communicate it with people who are going to support you, no matter how wild it is, who, are, who, who the devil is not going to use that opportunity to just try to kill it before it's ever birthed. Verse number 17, but now he says to them, so now he's evaluated everything. He's got his plan. He says, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. Here's the third thing that you've got to believe. The church is my team. My identity is in Christ. God is my source. The church is my team. He didn't show up as, I've got the vision, I've got the plan, I'm the one who, who, who's been educated in Persia, I'm the one who's gonna do it all. No, he understood it was too big to do alone. And you've gotta understand that the assignment God gives you in your life is too big to go alone. Verse number 18, they all replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. And so they began the good work. 52 days later, they re rebuild the wall of a city. And I don't know, I'm trying to think of what you can even compare that to. But th th that's a big, that is record setting. They've tried to rebuild the wall in previous years and failed. But yet here they've done it. The church is my team. As our heart breaks for the things, you know, as God breaks our heart toward different things, we partner with each other. Through Kingdom Builders, we partner with each other. Through doing services weekly, we partner with each other to help disciple and encourage and, and even correct each other. We, we are deliberately, purposely placing ourselves amongst each other to help us accomplish what God has called us to do. Go back to those original um, 
thoughts that people have about ministry. I can't do ministry, I must do work. My work funds my ministry. My work is my ministry. Again, church, I remind you, everything is ministry. If you're a follower of Jesus, everything is ministry. And begin to step into that joy, begin to step into that opportunity, begin to step into that mindset and see if there's anything that God could do with you this week in that job, in that community group, during that grocery shopping excursion, just be open to God. And when someone speaks to you like the king did, hey, offer a prayer up to God and then share that good news. Will you close your eyes? Let me pray for you. Jesus, we, we just thank you as we're in this Kingdom Builder series. We thank you that we, we see every year that you do more through our church team than we could ever do on our own. That you allow us to, we make impact every week in people's lives we just couldn't do alone. We accomplish more for your glory than we could ever do alone. We're a team and we thank you for that. I pray, God, that some of our prayers last week break our hearts. God, that that would stay with great fervor. God, we continue to pray and fast and ask you to change those things. One of the things that we pray about as a church is that New Hampshire will no longer be the least church state in the country. May that not grow cold in our heart. May we continue to pray for that to change. And God, for all the other things that you're speaking to us about, God, we pray we would stay and continue to pray for those things until you give, it, give us an opportunity to step into those arenas and begin to do the things you tell us to do. Jesus, you are the one we love, the one we serve, the one who we pray gets all the glory and credit and honor. And we don't do this in a humanitarian effort. We do these things because you are God's son who brings forgiveness to us, who brings salvation to us, who brings transformation to us. And I just pray for anybody in our church today who's never trusted you with their life, never made a decision to follow you, that they would do that now. Jesus, to, to give you our life, it's not complicated, it's not hard. It's just using our mouth to express what's going on inside of our body and saying, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me, be my savior and my God. I believe you, I, I believe in you. I choose to follow you. God, we thank you that as, you, as anybody in, the, in our room, anybody in our services who prays that prayer, anybody who's watching online prays that prayer, you save them, you forgive them, and you adopt them as your own. And we praise you for that. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Church, we stand to your feet. Let's sing for just a moment as we come to an end of our service. When we speak, we 